Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exorcise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Tessa, and today I'm joined by longtime friends of the podcast, Elise of the Podwraiths podcast. Hi. And Melissa of the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have both of you here to talk about romance, which is back by popular demand, a.k.a. a Twitter poll I conducted. (laughs) Very scientific. (laughs) But, you know, you have to give the fans what they want. (laughs) It's true. This week, Elise goes back to high school for a queer enemies to lovers. Melissa investigates inappropriate grand gestures. And I find out what Percy Jackson would be like if all the characters had sex. Before we get started talking about what we read slash saw this week, I do want to bring up a recent controversy in Romance Landia, which was the recent article in the Wall Street Journal about Dana Schwartz's new book, Anatomy, and the controversy it caused on Twitter because of the way that the Wall Street Journal framed this particular book. Have you all heard about this? Have you been following this conversation? So I haven't. I have not heard anything about this controversy, but I'm very excited for you to tell me all about it because I literally just received this book in the mail from my cousin for Christmas this week. (laughs) My knowledge is that I know who Dana Schwartz is and I know she had a book out. That is the extent of my knowledge about this. So I'm also excited to find out what this is about. The short version is that, uh, and I should I should preface this by saying that I don't think any of this is Dana Schwartz's fault. I really like her, and I like most of her writing, and I'm excited to read this book. So I'm not blaming this on her or the book. What I think caused a lot of the controversy was the way that the interviewer decided to talk about romance during the interview. So her book which has, I think, just come out, is called Anatomy, and it is Anatomy, a Love Story. I'm sorry, that's the full title. And it's about a woman, a noblewoman in 1817, Edinburgh, who dreams of becoming a surgeon. And a lot of the tension in the book comes from like her ambition to be a surgeon and be a doctor in a time when women weren't really allowed to be surgeons and doctors, and like this love story that she has going on as well. And the way that the interviewer decided to talk about it was basically by saying, oh, we're going to talk to her about bucking the conventions of a romance novel. She, like, wrote the romance novel that she always wanted to read. And, like, this is a new, fresh take on the romance novel. And very rightly, a lot of people on Twitter, one, got a little upset at the ways in which this denigrates romance as a genre, right? Like, oh, this is like a new and exciting romance, unlike all that old romance. Yeah, like, does it need to be reinvented? Yeah, does it need to be reinvented? (laughs) We're doing fine. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of modern romance that already does buck the conventions of what was going on you know, 40 years ago in in the genre. Right. And I think the other problem that a lot of people had with this was that this is Grey's Anatomy. Like, and nobody has any issues with necessarily romance repeating tropes because tropes are all about romance. Like, nobody cares that this is Grey's Anatomy until the Wall Street Journal decided to say, oh, this is new and exciting. And so, like, (laughs) I think that that's like, Part of the issue here is that people are like, yeah, there's never been a story about a woman who has to choose between love and surgery before. (laughs) So I'm curious to know what you all think about that. 
I feel like as three Grey's Anatomy fans, we have to read it. I mean, it sounds really good. That's the thing. But <laughs> maybe not the way this interviewer decided to frame it. Right, right. <laughs> um, not to out everyone as Grey's Anatomy fans, but all three of us do watch that show. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm very proud of out that. Out of way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, I really... The Wall Street Journal is already on my list, like, in general, so I kind of don't like them, and I'm not surprised that they had this take. And I do find that larger publications that are not necessarily focused on books or specifically romance books are just not going to do, like, they obviously didn't do their research before this interview to see what is popular right now in the genre if that's the take that they had this is at least the second time that i can you know cite back to you where i've had this experience of being very frustrated by the reporting around the romance genre and it's really just because the person doing the interview or doing the reporting like doesn't get it or is making generalizations etc the other instance of this is and i'm not going so like it's it was on a podcast a podcast produced by a publication that's known for being like feminist and etc so i'm not gonna out the podcast but i'll tell you guys off you know offline if you want to know <laughs> yeah but anyway it was, you'll give us you'll give us the tea later yeah, so it was it was during it was during the aftermath of bridgerton on netflix mm-hmm. and this film critic was frustrated by the backlash that Bridgerton season one received because of its depiction of a cut and dry sexual assault. Um, And they were saying, oh, people who are mad about, you know, this particular incident don't understand the romance genre because romance novels are for exploring like uh, basically like they like basically the take was romance genre is only for exploring like things that you can't do in polite society and so you shouldn't be taken aback by like rape or non-con in romance genre like storytelling and i was like this is the worst take i've ever heard in my life and it's fine to explore those things but that's what tags are for like, there needs to be some acknowledgement that, like, hey, we know that this is rape and non-con, and we are all consenting to reading this story and enjoying it as such. But that is not what Bridgerton was doing. And, like, I loved Bridgerton, but I'm not going to sit here and say that that wasn't rape in the... I don't remember, because I... Okay, so I do remember that controversy. I don't remember where that was said, but I remember talking mm-hmm. to you specifically i feel like we. oh i've been mad about, about it for like two years now. But I remember, <laughs> yeah i remember us talking about it but like i don't recall that episode having a warning or anything no right? no and it should have yes to my experience bridgerton the entity itself was not participating in the conversation around whether or not this right. was a problematic thing that happened in their show yeah, I don't think they were interested in that conversation. Yeah, it is a pretty direct adaptation of a scene from the book. Like, they pretty much took it mm-hmm. and went with it, which a lot of people, I think, were disappointed by. I think they actually wanted to see it adapted a little bit better or maybe have a better conversation mm-hmm. around that particular scene and why that scene happens. But 
Yeah, I I feel like people who do interviews with romance authors or talk about romance books should be readers of romance or at least have done like their research on it <laughs> so they don't make those types of generalizations or dismiss a genre which is the best-selling genre of the public like of the publishing industry in totality like there is no genre that outsells romance <laughs> but because it's a woman's genre or it's a soft genre or whatever it often gets this like dismissal Oh, I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, and I think that in the romance genre, especially like uh, like especially in fan fiction, that's not the only place to find romance. Obviously, we're talking about how, you know, it's the biggest, you know, genre in publishing as well. But it's such a robust genre and I think because it's so like it's mostly like women or, you know, non-binary folks interested in the genre it's like a very there's a lot of caretaking in that space like i've read self-published romance novels that have like tags in them the way the fan fiction would i don't know if many of like the bigger publishing houses do that stuff but i imagine that they would like i imagine that any romance novel i wanted to pick up off the shelf i could do like a quick google and find a list of you know tags or trigger warnings or content warnings or anything like that so I just think to say that, like, if you're upset about something you read in the novel, that means you don't get this genre. I mean, no, somebody failed in the caretaking between this thing being published or adapted and my eyeballs ingesting it. Because that's the thing about romance. Tags are not, which I'm glad tags are becoming more and more mainstream as well because of the reasons that you've mentioned. But tags are not, like, things about romance. People are attracted to certain types of romance and turned off by others. And that doesn't make it, like, necessarily, like, wrong or bad but there are like some romance tropes that just don't they don't get like i don't get mm -hmm. them and they're not my thing but i understand that like they're other people's things and so that would be like saying like oh because you don't like this particular romance trope you must not understand romance like just be, if you don't like pregnancy in your romance you must not understand romance you know like that's that's like a weird like like you would only say that about something problematic not about like a trope yeah. you just have a preference for. I hate <laughs> only one bed. Do oh not my put God. it in my bed. It's like a. Uh, <laughs> Melissa, what's wrong with you? I'm no, lying. I'm lying. I and love like, only one. Yes, me too. <laughs> I was laughing because we were watching 39 Steps and it was the first time that I had ever seen it. And I actually messaged Elise halfway through and I was like, there's only one bed. <laughs> Which I think I, mu I must have tweeted about like one of the recent times I watched it because like that is like one of my favorite scenes in the movie and I just it's so good. And it's the 1930s. So it was like very risque. I mean, it was not an American film. It was Hitchcock's European era. So there were the rules were a little bit different. We're very puritanical here. As you both know. <laughs> this is probably getting way off track, but I, I have been thinking about the scene where sh they're sitting like on the end of the bed and they're handcuffed together. And that's like the thing about why they're in the same same room. Yeah. And she's like, they're handcuffed together and she's like taking off her stockings while eating a sandwich. And it is wet. like Yeah. And it is like one of my favorite pieces of cinematic. Like, I don't even understand how that scene happened i like want to go back and watch it again because it is just so good anyway that's like completely off the point i was gonna <laughs> just say well first melissa go and watch it it's on hbo max 
But also, like, the idea of tags and books, like, works both ways because tags help you avoid what you don't like, but it also helps you find what you do like. And I just think that that would be very, a very smart thing for the publishing industry to get into. And one last thing before we move on, I, I have to read this. I didn't read this question from the article at the beginning, but I'm going to read it now because I want to know what your take is on this. This is an actual question that the interviewer asked Dana Schwartz about her book, Anatomy, A Love Story. I'm so embarrassed already. The book is called A Love Story, but it doesn't follow the typical arc of a romance novel, and Hazel's romantic life takes a backseat to her love affair with surgery. What inspired that choice? Have they never read a romance that novel? Is- <laughs> like, I know we just said that, but at the same time, it's like so many romance novels explore the conflict between work and romance. A lot of romance novels deal with the fact that this woman was busy doing her career, taking care of her kids, and that's why she hasn't had a good romance in a long time. That is just like such a common thing. I mean, it's a trope. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love those Career lady finds romance. Like, that is a thing. (laughs) Career woman finds romance. Which will she choose? Can she have it all? Like, I don't... It's almost like these are things that we explore in our real lives as well. Like, oh no. don't say. (laughs) (laughs) So, now that we've solved that problem, there you go. Twitter, we've solved the discourse. We don't need to talk about this particular article anymore. I am looking forward to reading the book Anatomy. I will just put that out there. It does sound very interesting. Yeah, I'm going to add it to my list. Let's go ahead and start with Elise. What did you, you read for this episode? Is that correct? Yes, I did. I read the the YA novel, She Drives Me Crazy by Kelly Quinlan. It was published last April. I'm going to read a little blurb from uh, Goodreads. After losing spectacularly to her ex-girlfriend in their first game since their breakup, Scotty Zajac gets into a fender bender with the worst possible person, her nemesis, the incredibly beautiful and incredibly mean Irene Abraham. Things only get worse when their nosy do-gooder moms get involved and the girls are forced to carpool together until Irene's car gets out of the shop. Their bumpy start only gets bumpier the more time they spend together. But when an opportunity presents itself for Scotty to get back at her toxic ex and climb her school's social ladder at the same time, she bribes Irene into playing along. We have enemies to lovers. We have fake dating. (laughs) I was worried this was going to be a bully romance as well because Scotty, our um, basketball player character who is out, Um, hates Irene at the beginning of this book, and you're led to believe that Irene was very bad to her. She got her car towed at a party last year. Not good. Irene is a cheerleader. She is out with, like, her close, close friends and family, but not publicly in school. I love incredibly beautiful and incredibly mean female characters. I just have to say that. Incredibly beautiful, <laughs> incredibly mean. It's like, Well, it's yes. so funny because, like, you pretty much, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to spoil anything, but, like, the book is not that long. So, like, you, you're not that far into it before you realize maybe Irene isn't that mean. It's just Scotty's perception of her um, because of the tow truck incident <laughs> last year. 
<laughs> this book was just so wholesome. Irene has this friend named Honeybell, which is like the sweetest name ever, and she just like wants everyone to be happy and is so cute and there's like a point in the book where um Honeybell has a crush on someone and she's like, I like Gunther and there and uh, Scotty is like Gunther. Such a good yeah. name. <laughs> Scotty's like, you can just admit that. What if he doesn't like you back? And she's like, that's his problem. Fair point. I yeah. love it. I was like, Honey Bell, you are a hi- like, I'm probably old enough to be your mom, and you are making me feel like I need to get myself out there more. <laughs> Honey Bell, words of wisdom. I know. There were a lot of pop culture references in this book that made me think that Kelly Quinlan was probably around my age. She talks about a lot of 80s and 90s books that are considered classics in the book, like Say Anything, one character's favorite movie is Dirty Dancing. They talk about Clueless and Hocus Pocus, just like films that people my age like really love. Dirty Dancing is one of my favorite movies. Can I ask you both a question about this? Because this is a conversation I've had with Sam a lot, but usually it's about YA, which right. this is also in high school, even though yeah. it's not. It's not YA, right? No, it is. We're not it's talking- totally okay, it is. is. This oh, book okay, was it not is. spicy. It was like a kissing book. Gotcha. Okay. So <laughs> the thing about YA authors is that while they're writing about teenagers, a lot of times they're thinking about the teenagers that oh, they themselves totally. were. Mm-hmm. And so they write about pop culture that I am pretty sure most teenagers today would not yes. know or understand. So- I'm not that much younger than Elise, although I am younger to the point where I've never seen the original Dirty Dancing and I've never (laughs) seen Say Anything. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm pretty sure my younger sister is older than than both of you. But like, yeah, so that it took me out of it a little bit because I was like, I did feel there's no way these kids know these movies unless maybe their parents had shown them to them. I watched Dirty Dancing with my parents, but I can't imagine teens today watching Dirty Dancing with Mm -hmm. their parents. Like, a lot of Dirty Dancing went over my head when I was a child. Um, I thought Penny was sick, and that was... Yeah, once you realize that movie is about abortion, it becomes like a whole different thing. Right, like as a kid, I just thought she was ill and had like a stomach ache or something but yeah so that that took me out of it a little bit but I still was excited about them talking about the references yeah I mean like I don't get me wrong I love good pop culture references especially 80s and 90s pop culture I just think it's really interesting that like why not set your YA romance in the 80s or 90s and have it be like contemporary like why are you having modern teenagers who probably would be talking about like people dancing on tiktok and not about dirty dancing i I think that that could have worked for this i don't really remember any like there was some talk of instagram and stuff like that um and some there was some drama that was involved with like a video on a cell phone so like from that perspective they would have had to i don't know maybe someone took physical like film photos of someone at a party instead of a photo on their phone they'd have to come up with another way to do that but that's not that hard to figure out i think that this definitely could have worked if it had taken place in like maybe like even the early 2000s or something like that when i would have been in college and like these movies still would have been 
considered classics to me. So I really liked that the characters were very different from each other. Scotty is kind of like a dramatic hot mess, and Irene is very focused in her cheerleading, and Irene is like running to be homecoming queen. Like, she's just very driven. She likes communication, and Scotty just wants her ex to be jealous the whole, the whole book. I definitely found Scotty to be, like, relatable because she's very self-conscious and doesn't, like, throughout the, because her ex was so toxic, she just doesn't feel that she, like, deserves better, and so she's very, she just thinks people don't like her, and it just made me sad and also made me feel sad that I was like, oh, I've felt that way before, you know. Another point that I found to be interesting, I was reading up on the author and she, I guess she's religious because she, all of her bios speak about how she's Catholic, but she actually runs a group for Catholic people that have LGBTQ children. So it makes me wonder if she has, I don't know if she has any kids or anything like that, but it makes me wonder if maybe she wrote this book for like a child, like a kid or you know, someone in her family that maybe would relate to it. And both characters were Catholic, which I found also interesting because Irene, Irene's character is Indian. And I, my only, my biggest complaint about this book is that while Irene is Indian and she calls herself Desi at one point, you wouldn't really know that she was Indian except for being told. Like, they're, the the book had a very white culture. And, mm-hmm. like, Irene's mother was a doctor, which felt very stereotypical. That was kind of my only complaint, was that there wasn't... It was just very white high school feeling. Like, it wasn't a diver- that diverse. Did you just say white high school yelling? <laughs> No, I said feeling. Feeling. <laughs> I think okay. I said feeling. <laughs> I was about to say white high school yelling. That is definitely its own. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> its own thing. We call it Gossip Girl. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There are there are actually shows for that for that particular thing. And how would you rate? So you said it's not very spicy. It's like a oh no, it's get def- together type of book. Yeah, and like there's kissing and it's really cute, but it's a very it's pretty peachy. <laughs> I mean, I remember you messaging me about this while you were reading it and you like read it in one day, so you must have yeah. really been intrigued by it. Yeah, I did read it in one day. Um it was a really quick read. Um I think it was like I did I listened to the audiobook and it was like 7 hours. <laughs> but um I think it was like under 300 pages. Like it was just a very quick read. But it was paced well, I thought. I didn't feel that any parts were rushed or going on for too long. And did you feel like all those tropes mixed together pretty well? Because sometimes when yeah. they mix too many tropes together, it can get a little muddy. As long as, as soon as I realized that it wasn't actually going to be a bully romance, I the enemies to lovers and the fake dating really worked for me. Um, the, so basically, when they get in the car accident at the beginning, and Irene car needs to go to the shop Irene's mom is trying to like teach her the worth of a dollar I guess and making her pay her her mom like her mom's making her pay back the deductible 
and Scotty has a job, and Scotty wants to make her ex-girlfriend jealous, so she basically says, I will give you the money for the deductible if you pretend to be my girlfriend, and that is the basis of the fake dating. So they have to spend time together because Irene's getting rides to school from Scotty, but it just becomes this, you know, this lie that they're telling everyone. That also kind of reminds me of To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Yeah. Like, kind of a similar vibe. Yeah. It had, it was, um, it was a similar vibe, maybe not as quirky. Yeah. Um, Like, it didn't have, like, the baking aspect. Like, there wasn't something, like, extra like that. But I did like that it was queer. So, that was fun. Yeah. So, would you recommend this? Yeah, I, I would. I found it to be, if you like To All the Boys, I think you would like this, definitely. Um, That's a really good call out. I did think of that book when I um, was reading it. I gave it four stars. I probably liked it a little bit more than some of my friends did. And that was probably just because Scotty reminded me of, like, a younger version of myself. (laughs) It's also really hard to find women-loving women romance, I think. It's much harder to find women loving women than it is to find men loving men not that there's anything wrong with no, men loving totally. men i read a lot of those yeah. too but yeah you know, no I, it's I a lot agree. harder all right so melissa this is your first time on the romance podcast not that this is like this is only our second one but <laughs> we do have to ask you some questions that i remember okay. elise and megan about so why don't you tell us how you first got into romance like do you remember the book that you got into romance with or just like how old you were or anything like that? I started reading Harry Potter fan fiction when I was probably 13. Like, as soon as I had the internet and understood how to navigate the internet, I was reading (laughs) Harry Potter fan fiction. (laughs) And then you just slowly realize that there are, like, actual books being published with, obviously, other characters. (laughs) But you can read these like same stories over and over and over again. So I don't really remember the first like actual quote unquote book um that I read, but I do know that after Red White and Royal Blue came out, like a lot of people that like jump started me back into actively reading and seeking out romance. Do you have any favorite authors or favorite series? I love Casey McQuiston. I really love Cemetery Boys. I have Aiden Thomas's other novel on my bookshelf that I haven't read yet. I'm kind of drawing a blank, but I'll read anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although it's funny because I'm going to be talking about movies on this podcast because I say I'll read anything, but that presupposes that I am spending any time reading which i haven't read anything since i finished dune in like november that's fair dune is like a it's a it's a journey it's like a marathon once you get through it you might have to rest for a little bit before you move on i think i've read one book after that it was maggie steve otter's scorpio races which is a little romancy yeah i mean i have a long list of books i want to get through this year so i'm just hoping that I eventually feel like doing that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I guess we've been talking about romance in terms of books, but obviously romance has sort of, it has its, there's movies that fall into this category, there's television Mm -hmm. shows, so 
you know, definitely we can, we, we should, we can, and we should talk about all those things. And I want to talk about adaptations later, but why don't you tell us about what you did watch for the, for this episode? Yeah. So I had this movie on Netflix called The Royal Treatment on my list before we were going to do this podcast episode. So that was an easy, that was an easy watch. Unfortunately, that movie's not very good. So oh, no. I'm just going to talk about it briefly so that if anybody had that on their list, they can maybe skip it. <laughs> and it's not, I mean, honestly, like, it's just not a good movie. It's not, the dialogue is messy. The plot line is messy. There is, like, a horse at the end riding through New York City for, in my opinion, no reason. <laughs> like, it's just not a great movie. But I watched that. Um, that stars Laura Morano, who was in this movie Saving Zoe, which is also not a very good movie. So it's time for her to maybe get some better movies to be in. And then <laughs> Mina Masood, who <laughs> was Aladdin in the live action mm-hmm. version of Aladdin. But he was in this show on Hulu called Reprisal with Abigail Spencer that I was like obsessed with. So that's why this movie was on my list. But this is kind of like antagonists to friends to lovers He's a prince and she's a commoner, but turns out that he doesn't know anything about, like, the the people and, like, the oppression in his home country. So they have to take toys and food and haircuts to the little poor children in, like, the quote-unquote dangerous section of, like, the city that they live in. It's, Gosh. you know. You haircuts. know. Haircuts. I like that. Food, <laughs> toys, and haircuts. The... The basis of a good kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, they meet each other because the prince needs a haircut and they accidentally call her um, salon in New York City instead of like the fancy bougie salon. And so she ends up coming to do his hair and they like fight a little bit. And so then he has to come back later and be like, sorry (laughs) that we fought a little bit. Kind of a meet cute. Yeah, he's like, sorry, we fought a little bit, but I still need a haircut. And then, you know, the hairstylist and makeup artist keep dropping out for this wedding that he has to participate in because, oh, then you find out that his parents are really penniless. And so he has to marry this like Southern American girl. So it's a whole. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's just the things keep piling on, like the levels of like why this story is happening just keeps like going deeper and deeper and like none of it like matters. Or, like, the, you know, the characters that have no relation to the plot, like, it's just, like, things happening to people. So, what I want to spend a little bit more time talking about is one of my favorite rom-coms from the last couple of years, and it is called The Broken Hearts Gallery. It came out in 2020. Um, it's a rom-com, and the tagline is, after a breakup, a young woman decides to start a gallery where people can leave trinkets from past relationships. Um, it's written and directed by a woman named Natalie Krinsky, which is always exciting to me when women get to write and direct their own rom-coms. Like, that is just yeah, that's awesome. a genre that I love. I haven't heard of this. Oh, I love it. It's on stars. Geraldine Viswanathan, Molly Gordon, who's one of my favorite character actors, Philippa Sue, and Dakari Montgomery. Um, he's in Stranger Things, which I don't watch a lot of that, but he's very cute. Yeah, so this is a antagonist to friends to lovers again. Like they meet each other because she's having a horrible night and she is a little drunk. And she gets in his car and refuses to believe that it's not her Uber. And so he just takes her <laughs> home anyway. <laughs> Aww. 
I'm glad that he was, like, not, you know, a serial killer. What is it from How I Met Your Mother, the Dobbler Dahmer scale, where uh, if you find it romantic, yes. if you find it romantic, then it's Dobbler from Say Anything. And yes. if you find it not romantic, <laughs> then it's Dahmer. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, so this main character, she like collects trinkets from all her relationships. And so when they're in their moving from like antagonist to friend stage of their relationship, he gives her like a lot of shit about being a hoarder. And so like he is t- that skill tips for him like through throughout <laughs> this movie. <laughs> some some tropes that we have in this movie, um a main character with like a vague job that makes absolutely no financial sense. Like this person can't afford rent in New York. It's fine, who cares? <laughs> It's like the the apartment that the friends yeah, live yeah, in. Like, exactly. there's no. I, I was thinking about all those uh, heroines in romance novels who like have a bakery and can like afford to live independently, like yeah. on their own, just by making. <laughs> yeah, like, like I'd be living like in the kitchen with like a cot or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this movie. Um, so I've talked about the cast, which one of my favorite things is like a full cast full of people that I love, and this movie definitely has that. But also every single person in the cast is being like such a specific individual character. Like all of the characters have like their own little things going on. So it's this friend group full of just individuals. There's a vaguely scary girl with a silent boyfriend played by Molly Gordon. And, um, oh, I cannot think of his name, but the guy who plays Daryl on Letterkenny, Nathan Dales. So he plays her silent boyfriend and he does not speak for like three fourths of this movie. And then (laughs) it's so funny when he eventually starts talking. It's like Silent Bob. Yeah. (laughs) Philippa Sue plays a like serial dating lesbian and she is just ultra gorgeous and she gives like breakup advice. She gives like sex advice. It's just it's lovely. Um, And then there ends up being like a deeper emotional meaning for like the trinket collecting and like the the just collecting of trinkets for both of the characters. The theme kind of wraps around both of the main characters and it's a surprise at the end. And then, you know, our main, main character, Lucy, she's on her own journey in this movie and many people intersect this journey and like illuminate things for her. But the journey is always hers, which I love. Like this is kind of, this is mostly like a fade to black romance. It's rated PG 13. Um, but it is very much like about her figuring her stuff out. And we're all just lucky that this cute boy is, you know, gets to be by her and like learn some things with her. Um, this movie does do the thing where there's a grand gesture at the end that is like actually inappropriate for real life. <laughs> like, <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> So I appreciate this PSA. And like that's all that's kind of like a romance trope too, I think, when you get like the big speech at the end and it's like at someone's work event or it's someone else's wedding or like at a family dinner that you weren't invited to. Like I forgot my my book had a grand gesture as well. I completely Was it appropriately timed? Yeah, it was fine. (laughs) It was like it was at a like basketball game cheerleading situation. Oh it was yeah, cute. 
maybe not at somebody's work. Like, could you like yeah, wait no. until the end of the work yeah, day or something? Yeah. Like, so that's the, yeah. So that's the one thing that I would probably change about this movie. But even having that thing in this movie like is playing into like a comforting trope of rom-coms but yeah so i most i mostly just took the opportunity to sit down and actually pay attention to this whole movie i put this movie on all the time for bed so i've seen the first like 15 to 17 minutes like a bunch of times (laughs) i love that i love comfort things that people put on before they go to sleep yeah like i feel like that's a really good way to get to know someone i need to write that down for like a good icebreaker. Like, what do you put on? I have one of those. Before you I think go to we bed. all know it's Pride and Prejudice. On yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's New Girl. It's Broken Hearts Gallery. It's Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. <laughs> I have actually been watching through New Girl again before nice. bed. Usually it's How I Met Your Mother for me. But re- I was like, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to do some New Girl. Is it too off topic if I get into the time that it was someone's birthday at my work, at my current job, and that person doesn't work there anymore, and their boyfriend sent a performer to sing for them for their birthday? Oh, and no. There was, no, no, and no. There, oh, it gets worse. There was an executive team meeting going on at the same time, to the point where, like, HR had to come out and be like, you need to leave. <laughs> I would so embarrassing. I was so awkward. I was watching this whole thing happen, and I was probably beat red and mortified, and I wasn't even involved. I could Uh, not imagine if I was dating somebody and they did this to me. It'd be like you fundamentally (laughs) misunderstand me. We are breaking up. (laughs) You don't know. It's like this woman in like a top hat and an outfit. Oh my god! Oh god! It was a lot. I forgot about that until you mentioned this. I hope she got like paid extra. Like somebody like gave her a tip or something yeah me too i felt bad because like she's just singing real loud and like she's doing her job that's her job yeah oh so uncomfortable she doesn't care where she does it yeah no no i got it so we talked about this last time in our our romance episode favorite least favorite tropes what are your favorite least favorite tropes? I want to hear from you all. Are there any updates? I want to hear Melissa since she she didn't get to list hers last time. Yeah, so some of my favorite tropes are I've already mentioned I love only one bed. Um I love enemies to lovers. I love fake dating. Um I'm trying to think anything like specific because enemies to lovers and fake datings like that's not necessarily a trope that's just like a a setup um but i'm trying to think of any like tropes that really get me i know this kind of plays into like what elise was saying about like a bully romance but i kind of like when people like reunite like it's enemies to lovers but it's like they were enemies a long time ago and then they happen to just, like, re-meet each other. And it's like, oh, I hate you because you were mean to me in middle school or whatever. So it's, like, kind of silly at that point. Like, <laughs> Gotcha, yeah. What about second chance? Does anyone here like second chance romances? Yeah. That's kind of what that reminds me yeah. of. Although I don't think you're exactly talking about, like, two people getting back together. I think you're talking about, like, people who have history. Yeah, like when you like people who I'm thinking specifically about this movie I love called The Thing About Harry, which is like about these two boys who end up having to go on a road trip together and they like the one hates the other 
residually from high school, but it's like ten years later. Or like what about five force years. proximity. Oh yeah. Does anyone that's like that one? one? I do. That's like kind that. of what that too. Like they're trapped in a car together or trapped, trapped in a car. With trapped someone. in a hotel. Trapped in an elevator. Oh, like oh, elevator. A, a snowstorm. That's how yeah. the wed- That's how the wedding date starts. By Jasmine Guillory. Trapped like, in a carriage. Trapped in a closet. I almost feel like tr- force, like like trapped somewhere, is like a s- another version also of one bed. Like mm-hmm. I know it's not exactly the same, but they make me they f- they feel like sister troops. Have to ride on the same horse together. Like um, <laughs> oh, I love when. And this isn't just a romance trope. I love, I love this trope anywhere it shows up. But when someone doesn't realize that the other person speaks like some other language, and so they like talk about them in another language, and then the person like responds, and it's like, oh shit, they understood you the whole time. <laughs> or where they'll I say like something like, I totally get, like, like I can't believe you called me that or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love There's that. a scene like that in Grey's Anatomy yes! with Meredith and DeLuca, yes! right? In the ele- they're yes. actually trapped in the elevator. And she's surprised <laughs> and then he's speaking Italian. Italian. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, is there anything that Meredith can't, can't do? No. Like, no. 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 She is perfect, and that show will outlive us all. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Elise? What are some tropes that you've been really feeling recently? So along the lines of what Melissa was talking about, it kind of reminded me of... Um, I, I like that trope, too, of they were friends. I like when they were friends when they were younger and they kind of grew apart and, like, because of a misunderstanding and then they come together. All I can hear is the Veronica Mars theme song, the we used to be <laughs> friends a long time ago. <laughs> That's, yeah. Since um we did our last romance episode, I watched the K-drama Crash Landing on You. And that is a Netflix series that has 16 episodes. And the one big thing in that is that the two main characters come from completely different worlds. The the character Siri is a South Korean fashion business owner. And Jong-hyuk is, I don't know that I pronounced that correctly, is like North Korean military. And I think it's really fun when the characters have like almost like complete different value systems because it takes it's a slower burn to get to the point where they have something in common and it also kind of leads to a fish out of water story where if they're in her world he's uncomfortable if they're in his world she's uncomfortable and it's just there's a lot of options for for fun i think in in that kind of trope so that's what i've been really into lately there's a lot of like upstairs downstairs romances yeah. too, like uh, class romances. Like Downton yeah. Abbey has a storyline that's like a class romance. No, totally. And, like, and I'm yeah. I actually am watch I watched the episode where <laughs> Branson first gets hired like today because I've been watching season one again. And this the crash landing on you is interesting because they in different ways they both come from prominent families. So that the class issue. I mean, while the South Korean business owning family was probably had more money, the North Korean military family was very prominent. So they had similar levels of like prestige. 
But it still is interesting to see, like, the way that you spend money in North Korea. And obviously these are all... These shows are all made in South Korea, so they're definitely biased in how they portray themselves and North Korea. But, like, it was just interesting. In North Korea, they were making their own noodles. And in South Korea, they're going out to eat all the time. So it's just very different lifestyles. Gotcha. Gotcha. I didn't talk about this last time, but I, especially when I read the book that I'm going to talk about later in this episode... I enjoy, like, a good physical chase, like a car chase or a, like, spy versus spy or, like, like one of them is, like, running from the other one for some reason. Like, I like – that's kind of, like, a fun, like, conflict. Not in, like, a weird stalker, Tomer mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of way, but like, but, like, like, they have a conflict and there's, like, a physical chase involved. Um, there's also, like – Again, this is kind of on the edge there, but, like, there can be, like, good kidnapping plots if it's, like, part of the plot. Like, if it's for, like, an actual plot reason and not a, like, I'm obsessed with you situation. Which, if you're into that, cool, there are tags for you. It's just not my thing. (laughs) But, like, yeah, like, that's, that, I was thinking about that recently, especially after reading this book, where I'm like, you know, like, I do enjoy, like, a good, like, a, a spy falling in love with another spy and, like, they have to chase each other around or whatever that's always fun yeah i just watched the spy who loved me a couple days ago and the beginning of that film very much is like that because um yeah bond and triple x are both trying to get that like file or whatever and they just kind of are stealing it back and forth from each other Uh, triple x is one of my favorite bond girls she's so good yeah she is really good the 2004 romantic comedy Chasing Liberty starring Mandy Moore and Matthew Good. I think so, but I, <laughs> I yeah, have I've seen that, but I don't remember. He chases it, her in that movie because he like works as like Secret Service and she oh, is yes, yes, like yes. an unruly 18-year-old and it I mean Isn't she like the president's daughter yeah. or something? <laughs> <laughs> I vaguely remember that. That has been on my list for a long time, but I kind of forgot that movie existed. So now I kind of want to go watch it. That sounds like <laughs> really fun. Let's talk a little bit about romance adaptations. So we mentioned Bridgerton at the beginning of the episode. We talked about that a little bit. And of course, with the success of Bridgerton, now everybody wants to do a romance adaptation, but nobody seems to be very sure about how to do a romance adaptation because, again, they're talking to the wrong people. But what are your favorite adaptations of romance novels or series? So I've been really enjoying watching and rewatching again for bedtime um, The Hating Game, which is an adaptation of a book starring Lucy Hale. And it is just, it's basically a straightforward adaptation and. I think they did a really good job moving that source material from the book to the screen. So that's definitely a romance movie that I would highly recommend. I'm going to co-sign that. Um, I regret that I rented it instead of purchasing it. I haven't seen it, but I'm like excited. I've heard so many good things about it. I really love A Discovery of Witches, both the books and the adaptation, the, the series adaptation. With Matthew Good and I'm trying to remember her name. 
I watched that show and I don't remember her name either, but I really, really like that TV show. And I'll be honest, I actually like the adaptation, the TV show, better than I liked the books. Like, I think that the characterization of the main female character is just much more comfortable for me in the TV show because she's, like, very submissive in the books, at least from my perspective, in a way that, like, that's just not how I like (laughs) my female characters. And that's fair. And Deborah, I think for me, I love the books because I just the world that she comes up with is just so fascinating Mm -hmm. to me. But she also does tend to do this thing where she gets a little lost in her own world building sometimes. And I'm like, okay, like, let's get back to the road. Like, where, you know, where are my characters? So the show does like streamline a lot of Mm -hmm. that. Her name is Teresa Palmer. She's been oh, in yeah. a lot of things. Like I she's like very recognizable to me, but I can never remember her name. But she yeah, Teresa Palmer, Matthew Good. For those of you who like Downton Abbey, Matthew Good is in this. Also <laughs> in Chasing Liberty. <laughs> also playing a character named he's in Matthew. He's a lot of romantic comedies, I feel like. And Leapier. He's a vampire in Discovery of Witches, which like let's put that on the Melissa Trope list. Yeah. I love vampires. <laughs> Vampires are great. I love them. I will literally watch anything with a vampire. Yes. It's, it is known. A Discovery of Witches has been on my list for a really long time. Um, a few years ago, I think I bought like the ebook series for like all of the books for like a few dollars. So I've been meaning to read that. But the way that you're speaking, I might end up just doing the show first the show is very good alex kingston is in it too she plays oh, okay. the main character's aunt one of her okay, aunts I like so her. yeah so there's a lot of good good actors in it other adaptations what else do we like so this is not strictly romance either in the book series or in the tv show but the romance aspect of the shadow and bone adaptation are Very, very, very exciting to me. So I would like to put that on this list because there are several ships in that book series and they're all getting set up and so much beautiful camera time. I just am obsessed with those characters. I mean, considering how many viewers have probably imagined themselves in a romance with Ben Barnes after watching (laughs) that show, I would counted as a romance and we're all out here like i can fix casbreaker this is fine (laughs) (laughs) i haven't read or seen that show i think i when it became really big and like melissa and a bunch of other people were um talking about it i kind of like fell off the map of like talking about books with people so i feel like i missed it and now it's on my list but i haven't gotten there I'm going to be a completely basic B over here and just say the Pride and Prejudice miniseries. It's, I know this book is definitely more than romance. It talks about class and it talks about other things. But, like, it's my favorite miniseries of all time and it's my favorite book of all time. So that is the number one for me. I will also recommend, I know I talked to you about this before, Elise, but if you like the Pride and Prejudice miniseries, I recommend the 2006 Jane Eyre miniseries with Ruth Wilson and Toby Stevens. 
It is one of the sexiest adaptations of Jane Eyre that I think that I have ever seen, and it is so good. Highly recommend. It's even better than the one that came out with uh, Michael Fassbender recently. Yeah, that's the only Jane Eyre I've seen. I think that was 2011. The Kerry um, Fukunaga yeah. adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. I really, and I loved that movie, but I have not read Jane Eyre, so that was my only experience with it, but I'm definitely going to check out this miniseries since we spoke about it earlier. Yeah, it's quite good. What novels or series would you like to see adapted? So I would be really interested in seeing the Daughter of Smoke and Bone trilogy by Leonie Taylor adapted. Um, because there, there's various couples throughout the series. So there's, you know, there's a lot of characters, but the main ship has such like deep pining and like it's soulmates and pining and, you know, like eventually, um, get maybe be getting to be together, like. Yeah, and it there's there's like twists in the mythology, so I think it would be like a really fun TV show. So if that could happen, I would be I would be very excited. What about you, Elise? I had originally thought that I didn't have an answer to this because I often do not come out of a book and think about, oh, I'd like to see that on TV, mostly because either I liked a book or I didn't like a book and that format is usually fine for me. But I was thinking about how I'd really love an adaptation. And I think it would be good in like a TV series, not a movie of um, Emily Henry's People We Meet on Vacation. Mm. This book is about like two best friends that would go on trips together through and like the way the book is, is like, it changes time. So it they talk present, te- present tense, and then they talk about like, each chapter is, like, a different time period, and I think that that can be done really well in a show with, like, flashbacks and stuff like that. So that is my answer. I really loved both of the characters. I really loved the romance. It was, like, two best friends that kind of, like, fell out, and one of them calls the other one to try to, like, get together again, and it just talks about their history throughout the book, and I just, I really loved that book a lot. I like things that play with time, like the yeah. show you like different parts of a relationship and, through time. Yeah, and it really helps like build the story in a slower way because you you kind of see what's going on now, and something might happen, and you don't realize why that's a big deal, and then it says, okay, well this happened four years ago, and then you see how that informs what's going on. It's it's like a nice. I love nonlinear story storytelling like that. Well, I was going to say Cresley Cole's Immortals After Dark series because I'm obsessed with Cresley Cole's Immortal After Dark <laughs> series. I will talk about that probably a little bit more later. But I honestly, I love poly romances and I really want there to be more adaptations of like poly romances. And I don't even care if it's like contemporary or fantasy or whatever. But like books like House Isidore, which is a vampire, poly vampire book. Anything by Catherine Moon would be really good as well. I just think I'm getting really more and more frustrated with love triangles, which are not my favorite thing Mm -hmm. in the world. Like, I'm just very like, why aren't they all together? Like, I just don't understand. So, like, I 
I think that there should be more exploration of poly relationships in television, but especially in romance, uh, because they exist. People have written books about them. So I just think it'd be interesting to see any of those adapted. Yeah, I agree. I read A Promise of Fire, which is the first book in the Kingmaker series by Amanda Boucher. Have either of you read this book? No, I haven't. So this book is about uh, Catalia Feza, Cat for short. It is a fantasy book, but she lives in a circus traveling from town to town and pretending to be a crappy soothsayer in order to avoid her homicidal mother and the horrific destiny that the gods have prophesied that she will bring about. She's perfectly content with her little oddball chosen family until Griffin, an ambitious warlord hero of the people who recently conquered the magically deprived South, tracks her down and kidnaps her, dragging her back into a world that she thought she'd left behind forever, because Griffin recognizes her as the kingmaker, the woman foretold to be able to divine truth from lies, and basically if you can do that, you can keep somebody on the throne, so he figures having her around will help cement his, his and his family's rule. However, he isn't expecting his attraction to her or the other dark secrets that she's hiding. So it's very dark fantasy. If you like Sarah Moss or Game of Thrones, you will probably like sort of the vibes of this. But it wasn't so dark. Like, the romance aspect of it wasn't dark. Like, the the world that they're in is very, like, cutthroat and it's very, like, bad things happen. But the bad things aren't necessarily between the two of them. They are like enemies to lovers, sort of, because he does kidnap her at the beginning, like, and takes her back to like the city, the capital city where he's from. But it's very like it's it's like how your your book was not a bully romance, Elise. Like it kind of has like trappings of that, but it's not really that at the same time. Like because right. he like he like is to- like wants her to like accept being part of like his like court and like his life and like he doesn't want to like mistreat her or anything like that so there's there's a lot of those types of things in there the world building of this is so interesting because the gods of this fantasy universe that amanda boucher has created are the greek gods like they're referred to as zeus and poseidon and hades and they sort of follow that mythology and logic and there are a lot of like greek like monsters and uh, and things like that. There's demigods, etc. But it is a completely fantasy universe. It's not like happening on Earth. It's almost like the Greek gods like invented another universe and like went over there and did things. So there's a lot of stuff for people who like Greek mythology. If you were really into Percy Jackson and thought this needs more sex in it, that this is that book for you. Like that is a lot of what this book is. That sounds super interesting. I wasn't sure what to make of it at first because I was like, this is like Greek mythology. It's going to follow like very set paths. But actually, I wasn't expecting any of the twists and turns of this novel. Like, there is a secret that she has that's pretty obvious once you start reading the novel. But the conflict isn't that you don't know the secret. It's that he doesn't know the secret. And so it's kind of like that long drawn out thing where you're like, she's hiding this thing. And like, how is he going to react when she like... When, when he finds out about it and like that there's a big like tension there both these characters are really great which i think is why this works really well so cat is she's kind of a mary sue which we'll talk about here in a minute because i actually don't mind that she's a mary sue in this book 
Well, I guess I can talk about it now. <laughs> she's incredibly powerful. And there is a big part of this narrative that's like, she's the one, right? Like, she's the one who's going to be special and destroy the world or save the world. And they're not really sure, like, which one she's going to do. And, like, she keeps finding out that she has, like, this other power that she can use. And her powers are really interesting because she can, like, tell the truth. Like, if somebody says something, she can tell if it's a lie or the truth. She can absorb magic and, like, throw it back at people. So if somebody tries to attack her with, like, fire magic, she can, like, respond with fire, etc., which is really interesting. She usually solves almost every situation with, like, her power. Here's my thing. I know people don't like characters like that, especially female characters, because they're like, oh, she doesn't have any weaknesses. I think that I've seen enough of this with men as, like, being the person who doesn't have weaknesses that it doesn't bother me. Like, if we're expected to watch The Matrix and say, like, oh, Neo's the one and he can, like, be super powerful, I don't understand why we can't have a narrative where a woman is like that. That's just my personal preference. But I actually do think she has weaknesses. They're just emotional ones. So she's extremely funny. She has a very dark sense of humor. She's very prickly, right? Like, she's stubborn to the point where, like, she refuses to admit that she's actually, like, having a good time with Griffin and his, like, gang for, like, the first third of the book because she's still, like, mad that he kidnapped her. And so... <laughs> Fair. But, like, you know, so, yeah. So she's, like, very prickly. But then, like, as you, like, peel back the layers on this character, you realize it's because she's extremely traumatized. Like, her mother basically raised her in a survival of the fittest situation. And so she, like, has, like, terrible nightmares and, like, all of this stuff. And so, like, a lot of this is, like, a defensive mechanism. He doesn't understand that because he's, like, a very, like, open person. And so, like, a lot of the conflict comes from their, like, inability to communicate. But she is, like, extremely vulnerable, like, underneath, like, all the prickliness. I mean, Griffin is kind of a basic hulking warlord, but it's a really good dynamic, like, where he's just, like, really nice to her and she's, like, really mean to him. But, like... <laughs> In, a, in like, a way that, like, is funny and, you know, is very, very sexy. Um, the supporting... <laughs> I like that. Yeah. The supporting characters are really great. Um, I sometimes hate it when you have, like, a romance where the leads are good, but none of the supporting characters mm -hmm. make sense. Like, I like that there's a lot about chosen family in it. I like that there's, like, a real platonic relationship that she develops with, like, his... You know, like, warlords have, like, I don't know what they're called. Like, their coterie, their entourage, like, whatever. Like, the people who I'm hang out with them. I'm going to call them his posse. His posse. <laughs> and, like, it's, like, these three men. One of them is her bro his brother. And, like, he's gone at one point. I don't know why. And she has, like, like really terrible nightmares. Like, wakes herself up screaming. And, like, the three of them just, like, all cuddle her, basically. And it's very Aww. platonic. But it's, like, very sweet, and it's very, like, you know, and I wish that romance had more of that. <laughs> like, even if you're not going to do, like, a poly relationship, having, like, those sorts of friendships that aren't the dude being all alpha male and, like, mm -hmm. no man can touch her or whatever. Like, yeah. so I appreciated that. It's extremely sexy. The sex is a slow burn, but it's well worth it in the end. And the other thing I would say to you is that I have like really weird requirements when it comes to humor in my romance, because I think that a lot of romance authors tend towards this thing that I don't like, where it becomes almost slapstick-like. And I don't really want that in my romance novel. Like, I don't want them to be silly, if that makes sense. Like, I want them to be funny, just not like, 
to the point where characters are like acting out of character and saying things just to get like a laugh or whatever. This is genuinely funny. Like I actually laughed out loud at some of the dialogue several times because it was it was almost like that screwball comedy type of like banter, like back and forth. And it's just very, very well done. So I would highly recommend it, especially if you're a fan of dark fantasy. Before we wrap up, what are you looking forward to romance-wise? What's on your future reading or watching list? I just wanted to also um, shout out that in the K-drama Crash Landing in, Crash Landing on You, the main male character had the people that worked with him in the military, and they all came... They all became very brotherly to the female lead, and it reminded me of that cuddle scene. Mm-hmm. Like, they were, yeah. they were, like, all of the, one thing I like about K-dramas is that they're, the, at least, like, the good guys and the one I watched is, like, the men hung out together, and, like, they, it was so clear that they, like, loved mm-hmm. each other as friends, and they weren't scared to sh- show that. Yeah. It was really nice. More vulnerable masculinity. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But to answer your question, um, I'm very much looking forward to Husband Material by Alexis Hall, which should be released this summer. It's the follow-up to 2020's Boyfriend Material, which I really love. Boyfriend Material was like a good fake dating story about Luke, who is perpetually thinking he's not good enough, and Oliver, who's a lawyer and seemingly perfect. It was a very big, like, opposites attract situation. And I'm also looking forward, and this is kind of more of a romance slash coming of age um, thing, but I'm really looking forward to Hulu's conversations with friends based on the Sally Rooney novel. Although I have to admit that I actually haven't finished the Normal People series, even though I loved that book. I, un- unlike most people, I think, that I've talked to, liked Conversations with Friends m- almost more, mostly because it had, it had, like, an unconventional, has unconventional relationships. There's definitely, like, secret cheating going on at <laughs> at points, and, like... It's, so it's a very morally gray book, and I very much am looking forward to seeing that portrayed. I am not looking forward to the discourse that is probably going to come along with that, but I can just talk about it with my friends, and that will be fine. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to avoid the discourse. It's the easiest yes. way. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Melissa? What are you looking forward to? So I've got a couple movies on my list. The first one is actually going to come out. On Friday, on February 4th, it's called Book of Love, and it is about two writers thrown together on a book tour in Mexico, and it is a rom-com. The male lead is played by Sam Claflin, who I like, so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited about finally being able to see The Worst Person in the World. Oh, I want to see that, too. Yeah, so that releases on February 4th as well, although I think only in New York and L.A., so I'll have to wait, like, a week or two um, to see that one. But that chronicles four years in the life of Julie, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and struggles to find her career path, um, leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is. Um, I love the trailer for this movie, and it's gotten such good reviews. I've Really cannot wait to see it. Um, And then the last one is The Lost City, which is an action-adventure comedy 
Um, but I'm putting this on the list because I'm pretty sure this is a rom-com and I'm pretty sure this movie was originally titled The Lost City of D. (laughs) 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 And this is about, it's Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock and it's a reclusive romance novelist on a book tour with her cover model gets swept up in a kidnapping (laughs) attempt that lands them both in a cutthroat jungle adventure. So I think y'all, we're going to love this movie. (laughs) I am so into this. This sounds like a movie night. It really, really does. So that's a Paramount movie. So I wonder if that's going to be on Paramount Plus quickly. Mm, I don't know, but it comes out in theaters on April 15th, I think. Well, based on my James Bond expertise, the way that they did that, is it was in the theater and then like 90 days are going to happen and then it'll be on Paramount. So I wonder if it's going to be the same situation. Well, fine. Gotcha. But yeah. I'm just trying to give you realistic expectations. I know. I know. So those are are the romance or romance, romantic comedies, I guess, um, on my list for like the next couple of months in terms of movies. I don't have, I don't think I have any like, like, drama romances or just like strict romances on my list and to be honest I don't know if I've actually like seen that many of them and it might be a function of I love rom-coms and like I like coming of age stories so a lot of the like smaller movies I watch are like YA essentially um but one that like a strict romance movie that I can think of that I would love to recommend is The Photograph starring Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, I've so seen trailers great. for that. It looks fascinating. It's really I good. I haven't seen it. And you get it's like, on HBO, right? Yeah. I think. And you get like two stories because uh, she's like investigating her parents. And so you get like flashbacks through the titular photograph about like her parents falling in love and then like she's falling in love. It's just everybody's pretty in the movie so it's just eye candy heart candy (laughs) heart candy i love that (laughs) so i have a few that are on my list uh some of them came out last year but i'm so behind i just haven't gotten to them yet but one of them is how to find a princess by Alyssa cole Alyssa cole i don't read a lot of contemporary romance just because it's not really my thing i do more regency and fantasy science fiction romance but Alyssa cole is an amazing contemporary romance author i highly recommend her books if you haven't read them already but let me read you this brief blurb it's the second one from her runaway royals series and it's a queer anastasia retelling that sounds severely up my alley. Yeah. I'm obsessed with <laughs> Anastasia. So, Makeda Hicks has lost her job and her girlfriend in one fell swoop. The last thing she's in the mood for is to rehash the story of her grandmother's infamous summer fling with a runaway prince from Ibarnia, some, some made-up kingdom, I assume, or the investigator from the World Federation of Monarchies tasked with searching for the missing heir. Yet when Beznaria crashes into her life, the sleek and sexy investigator exudes exactly the kind of chaos that the organized and efficient Makeda finds irresistible, even if Bez is determined to drag her into a world of royal duty Makeda wants nothing to do with. Ooh, sounds like there might be a chase in that. Yeah, I'm I am highly into it. 
Do you have to read the first one or is it different characters? Alyssa Cole usually does different characters. Like they're standalone, but they'll reference things that happen in like, like okay. it's like it's like reading like Bridgerton where they'll like reference right. characters yeah. and stuff that happened in previous books. But yeah, okay. I, I recommend everything. Reluctant Royals is another really good series that she's done. Highly, highly recommend. So to also talk about Regency romance, Tessa Dare has a new book in her Girl Meets Duke series called The Bride Bet, which is about two sworn enemies who make a make a deal that if they're still single in 10 years, they would, mar- they would marry each other. Reckless. And of course, 10 years later, like <laughs> one of them really wants to get married. So like it's a whole thing. My best friend's wedding in Regency book form. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I'm excited to read that. And then finally, last but not least, I am so excited to finally read Cressley Cole's Monroe, which is the 20th installment of her Immortals After Dark series. This series has been going on for so long. I cannot, in good conscience, recommend some of the things that happen in the first few (laughs) books, but I love them anyway. We're finally getting a book dedicated. They're all standalone. And we're finally getting a book dedicated to Monroe McCreeve. We've been waiting for years for this. I'm just going to read you the description. And you will probably be a little lost because she's talking about a world she's been building over 20 books. But I need you to know how ridiculous this series is and how, like, totally into it I am. Tormented in unimaginable ways. I want you to know that's in all caps. (laughs) Coming off torture at the hands of his warlock captors, Monroe McReeve never expected to find his mate or lose her just as abruptly. Driven to desperation, the ruthless warrior uses his enemy's own powers to reunite with her in the distant past. There's time travel, (laughs) y'all. Stolen from her time, also in caps. When a crazed werewolf crashes her wedding, (laughs) Kenry Ren Crodrina does what any cunning huntress would do. She captures him. Yet she finds herself softening towards the wounded beast until he turns the tables and forces her into an incomprehensible future. Again, all in caps. Can a human and an immortal unite in order to survive? (laughs) Can they indeed? I love this series so much. It is so ridiculous. And I it just sounds like bonkers in I the best can't, way. I can't get enough of it. It is so sexy. And her humor is so spot on. And the world building she's been doing over 20 books is just so impeccable, even if it is ridiculous. So I am very much looking forward to that. I was so excited that it was finally coming out. We have talked for what, like an hour and 20 minutes about romance? <laughs> Sure yes, we, we could I'm sure we could talk for an hour and twenty more, but we'll save that for another episode. Hopefully when Megan can join us and so Melissa and Megan can talk about their Harry Potter fanfic <laughs> matches. Next week, Monkey Off My Backlog is doing 90s films and their soundtracks. I'm going to be talking about The Bodyguard, which I have never seen before, and I'm very excited to talk about the soundtrack with Whitney Houston. Where can people find you? Melissa, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, you can find me at Mellow Yellow on Twitter and Instagram and then Mellow or Twitter and Letterboxd and then Mellow Yellow XX on Instagram. And then you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast and the Still Great Bob Mad Men Rewatch podcast. Elise, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. Almost forgot how to spell it. 
And you can find my podcast, um, Pod Rates, a Deep Space Nine podcast, on Twitter and Instagram at Pod Rates, P O D W R A I T H S, and wherever you get your podcasts. Whatever the configurations of people on podcasts are, I highly recommend all of both of these amazing people's podcasts. I listen to them, they're great. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suelatessa, where I recently rewatched. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and remembered that it is the perfect movie. So there you go. <laughs> you can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Og's Book Club, where Nigel and I are reading through all 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Og's Book Club. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what romances you've read or watched recently, and what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, because I am sure we will continue to talk about romance. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.